Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 18 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. My guest this week is Todd Spurrier. Todd has spent 19 months and has ridden over 57,000 miles on his Ducati motorcycle across the United States to help raise awareness for colon cancer, FAP, which he has, and other hereditary colon cancer conditions. His website, destinationxride.org, is filled with beautiful photographs and stories of caregivers, survivors, and others affected by colon cancer and colon cancer-related hereditary conditions. He's also using his website to showcase photographs as part of a project that he has undertaken. His goal with this project is to photograph 500 colon cancer survivors who've been diagnosed under the age of 50 and to complete this project before he turns 50 in the spring of 2017. So join me now for my conversation with Todd Spurrier. Hey, Todd, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you can make time to... Uh, take a break from what you've been doing and spend time with us today. How, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, thank you for having me, Lee. Oh, it's my pleasure. So uh, I've got so many things I want to ask you, especially looking at your your site. Uh, I, I try to mix up the content on this podcast, and without a doubt, you are the first that I've had the chance to speak to that's been riding a motorcycle as a way to raise awareness <laughs> for uh, hereditary uh, colon issues and colon cancer, et cetera. So uh, you're probably not surprised, but uh, it's a fascinating <laughs> story. But before we get into that, kind of take me back to a, a little bit of your medical history and how you came to be as you are today. Okay. Well, you know, my connection to colon cancer came via my dad back in 1974 when he was diagnosed at 28 with colon cancer via FAP. So, um, you know, familiar adenomas polyposis. So he, he ended up fighting that till ni- 1978 when he was 32 and he passed away. So because of that, it was known that my sisters and my two sisters and I needed to be monitored for FAP. So, so then that began my life with, uh, um, being monitored, having, you know, all the, all the, um, kind of tests and, 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 uh, scopes and everything that were, you know, in vogue in the day back in the 70s, late 70s and early 80s and that. And, uh, so in, uh, 19, in 1985, I, you know, had my had a total colectomy. Um, I had hundreds of polyps, as did my two sisters. Which all three of you? Wow. Yeah. So we were batting a thousand with FAP. So I had my total colectomy then. My mom had put it off. Actually, it was known we had hundreds of polyps when I was 15, but she was hoping for some kind of cure. And then, you know, at the urging of a colorectal surgeon, you know, we needed to get the colons out. So. My sister Kim, who's 11 months younger than me, and I had our colons removed at the same time. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting going from like colons that were working perfectly fine, no symptoms, 
to having your colon removed. I mean, the procedure was purely prophylactic. So, you know, getting used to not having a colon was, you know, interesting to say the least. <laughs> sure. I mean, you got, you got to figure out how to make your body work a whole new way. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we had that done, you know, I had it done like a week after I graduated from high school and then I, you know, kind of recovered and got acclimated to my semi gut and, uh, went to art school and just kind of lived, you know, eased into that life and didn't let it get in my way. You know, I was very much into the outdoors and mountain biking and, um, snowboarding and, and just, you know, I didn't broadcast that I didn't have a colon. Like my friends knew, I mean, in college, they kind of make fun of me and guys called me like a semicolon and that back then. And I know that a lot of that's done now with the semicolon tattoo, but that was back in, you know, the mid eighties. <laughs> right. So I don't know. So flash forward, you know, after being monitored all these years into 2008 when um, I went freelance, left an ad agency and went freelance and I didn't have insurance. So I kind of, you know, it's kind of costly being monitored. And I just kind of was really not the best with uh, being looked at and having my, my rectum monitored. So my sister and my mom pulled a bit of a intervention on me and talked some sense into me. And I went to my sister's GI and had a flex sig done and this, they discovered a couple of polyps that were over a centimeter in size and uh, the rectum needed to come out. So worked on everything that needed to happen to, to find a surgeon, to find a hospital where I was going to have this done, to getting coverage for all the medical costs, um, which ended up getting all that together and uh, having scheduling a J pouch surgery to remove the rectum. And uh, so I had a pre-op CT scan just so they knew what was going on in there. And in that scan, they discovered an issue with my left kidney. So that put off the surgery until they figured out what was going on there. And it turned out there was a stricture in my left ureter and they thought my kidney was already dead. So I got a urologist on board and discovered there was some function there still. So we came up with a plan and got the surgery back on schedule. Cut to April of 2008. Um, I was on the operating table having the surgery. I was opened up and they discovered a desmoid tumor and the, the location of the desmoid tumor did not give them enough small intestine to work with to do the, the pull through portion of the, the surgery. So in that situation, the recommended thing to do is give a permanent ileostomy. Um, so I was still under, a urologist was putting a stent in my ureter and it was that my surgeon put it to my mom and my sister, what they should do. And my, my mom and sister decided that it wasn't fair to do that kind of procedure without my knowledge. So. Cause you were still under on the table. Yeah, I was on the table. Oh. And I feel bad that I was, you know, they always ask you before you have a surgery about advanced directive and all that stuff. And I didn't <laughs> deal with that. So it kind of put my, my, my family in a situation where they had to make some a really difficult decision. So uh, I recommend that people stay on top of that before their procedure so their family knows what to do <laughs> if something doesn't go right. <laughs> sure. So what, what was ultimately the decision that was made? They just basically closed me up. And came up with a plan, got an oncologist on board to treat the desmoid tumor, got a urologist on board because I, I still have a stent, ureter stent in me. I've had one in me since 2008. 
So it's dealing having those changed out, having my um, upper endoscope done and uh, flex SIG, the lower scope done annually because I still have a rectum. And um, so they, you got to maintain, make sure that polyps aren't go- happening there. Sure. And then also there's areas uh, like a duodenum. That is a hot spot for, for polyps. And then checking the stomach. I have a car- carpet of polyps in the upper fundix part of the stomach. That is fairly common with FAPers. So uh, uh, we're not really don't need to worry about that. It's the lower stomach. If polyps develop there, that's where a problem can be. And then the ampullas and areas, that's a little area between the pancreas and stomach. That's kind of a hot spot for FAP and, and, can, and precancerous activity. Right. And I, I had that, the ampulla removed because of that. So it, it, it's constant maintenance, you know. So speaking of maintenance, let's get to your motorcycle. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So talk to me about, you know, the, what was the motivation to... Uh, take on a role of advocacy like you have and do it the way you've done it. Talk about what the thought process and for the listeners who don't know what you've been doing, uh, explain where you've been spending your time over the last few years. Okay. Well, you know, I had that you know, the failed surgery in 2008. And, and so like a couple, you know, time went by and I was just kind of it was like constant trips to the hospital and, and that for, for all the things I needed to like maintain with my health situation and uh i don't know i i, I just there was a, a video series that was um that was called long way around and it was um ewan mcgregor and his friend charlie borman that rode motorcycles around the world and so that that, that was kind of like the inspiration for me to, to do some kind of ride to get out there and connect with people and and uh kind of get some awareness out there for things i felt were important at that point it wasn't really zeroed in on colon cancer it was like it was kind of like a hodgepodge of a lot of different things that I felt strongly about. And uh, so I built a website and just maintained that website and just kept posting just things that I was doing in my life and that. And that had to do with the causes that I believed in. And then, uh, you know, I had the, the, atten- the intention of approaching Ducati. Ducati. Ducati Monster was my first motorcycle and I've always kind of had an affinity for Ducati motorcycles. So I always had the intent of approaching Ducati about maybe getting some, you know, some kind of support for a ride. And uh, in 2011, I had some friends that were Desmoid tumor patients. And uh, without my knowledge, a friend of mine approached Ducati North America about, uh, about you know, me and what I was trying to do in my health situation and, and just the ride that I wanted to do. And uh, it must have struck a chord with them because they had sent an email and they wanted to do something with me and they wanted to supply a motorcycle for the ride. So... And then that was like the spring of 2012. What was your reaction when you got that email? Well, I kind of email went to my friend and it was, <laughs> and it was yeah, because she sent it out. And within a month, they had a bike shipped to the uh, Ducati dealership in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin for me. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> so I went from, I don't know, just maintaining a site, you know, to boom, okay, in a month, I got to be on the road. So it's like, okay, I got to deliver now. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the plan? Well, I just, um, I came up with kind of a route and there were kind of area things I wanted to do. Like, um, my dad was treated at uh, city of hope in Los Angeles. So I wanted to go there and, you know, kind of take a tour. Cause there was like the last six months of my dad's life. My, he was there and my mom basically lived there. They had bungalows at, 
that like family members could live in. So we saw him on the weekends, like my sisters and I. So I wanted to kind of get reconnect with that whole thing because I was so young back then. And I also wanted to talk to a GI that, that had an interest in FAP. So that was like the first stop. And then I had Ducati related stops, like race events. And then, you know, there were just various kind of things. Like there was this, uh, I have a background in fishing. Like I was a major fish head and, uh, there was an organization that I felt strongly about. It was a fly fishing organization called Real Recovery. And it was an organization that put on three day fly fishing retreats for men that were, that were cancer survivors. So it was like promoting the healing powers of fly fishing. So I kind of contacted the director of that organization and, you know, he, I told him what I was doing in my story and he wanted me to be a participant in one of the events. So I ended up doing, riding up to Idaho and doing this fly fishing trip that was really incredible and connected with all these other survivors. And one of them was a man in his thirties that was a colon cancer survivor. I became friends with him. Pretty incredible man. So your your ride started in Wisconsin, is that right? Yeah. So you rode from Wisconsin to LA. Yeah, I rode from Wisconsin to Los Angeles, and then from there I rode up the coast and went to Laguna Seca for a MotoGP race, and then from there I went up to Idaho to where to that real recovery event, and then I rode down to Colorado, Pikes Peak for the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb Race. And then from there, I rode back to St. Louis because my sister lives there and she was having some issues. And she has desmoid tumors and FAP and she has MS. So I wanted to spend a little time with her and regroup a bit. <laughs> sure. Uh, talk, tell, talk about, if you can, the physical challenges of spending so much time on a bike and being without a colon. Um, well, dehydration kind of definitely happens. And I rode through... Back that summer, there was a kind of like a national heat wave going on, like riding through Nebraska when it was, you know, 105 degrees and eastern Colorado, high desert when it's 110. Um, yeah, I just dealt with the dehydration. I guess my whole life, I've kind of been used to dehydration. Right. Um, and, and, and having that stent in my ureter doesn't help either, which, you know, there's a lot of pain generated by that usually especially riding and then when you're dehydrated it's like doubly painful and uh i don't know i mean i just dealt with it you know and i and, and i had like stops so close together at times where i was riding day and night like a thousand miles a day i guess it's a testament to the bike it was pretty comfortable <laughs> <laughs> well when it was time to go to sleep uh I, I noticed on your website that uh sleeping under the stars was a fairly uh common occurrence yeah, in 2013, when I was on that ride, I wanted to see how long I could go without using my tent, and I pretty much went the whole time, which is kind of sleeping on my thermorest with a sleeping bag under the stars next to the bike, and uh, there were some pretty incredible nights spent that way. At what point did you start the, or I should I say add to the uh, project, the whole thing about uh, wanting to photograph survivors. Talk about that. Well, personally, get into, you know, where I really wanted to zero in on colon cancer. I, you know, and, and the ride in 2012, I was at my sister's in St. Louis and, and uh, you know, I had some people that were, you know, FAP and colon cancer people that I knew on there. And Erica Brown, are you familiar with her? I am. A uh, fellow FAP kind of brought it to her attention of what I was doing with the ride. And, uh, 
she contacted me and there, she she had teamed up with right the right scan right time people and she asked me if I wanted to participate in uh, in events in DC where you know they get patient advocates to go up Capitol Hill and uh, talk about the importance of medical imaging. Right. So that's kind of like I, I, I rode to that and then I really then I met a lot of people in the colon cancer world. And that's kind of got me into the you know, going more specifically to colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So, and connecting with all these people with FAP and, and in the colon cancer world. Then I, um, in 2013, I came up with the idea of doing this face at project and photographing the faces of cancer survivors, colon cancer survivors and, uh, FAP and desmoid tumor patients and, and collecting their stories. And then I also approached people at uh, Colon Cancer Alliance, Undie, um, 5K, Run, Walk, and uh, and the Get Your Rear and Gear people, and um, Christopher Live Scope It Out, where I wanted to like go to their events around the country, their Run, run Walk events, mm-hmm. it, and use that as a way to establish a map for the 2013 ride, and, uh, and also you, you know, be able to document those events and, and post blogs about that to kind of get some interest to these events as well. So uh, you set a pretty aggressive goal in terms of what you want to accomplish uh, as far as uh, photographing people. Going back to like 2013, you know, I was I was kind of stopped in San Francisco area for, you know, a few weeks and I ended up rebuilding my website. And that's where I came up with the 500 under 50 before 50 project. And then I rebuilt the site and that's where it was specifically geared towards photographing colon cancer survivors diagnosed under 50. So you're trying to get, take photos and get the stories of 500 people who were diagnosed under the age of 50 before you turn 50. Do I have that right? Yes. And, and how old are you now? I'm 48. So <laughs> in 2017 in March, on March 6th is when I turned 50. Um, I mean, it, I don't know. I, I, I really... I could see it happening. It's just I got to like figure out a way to uh, really gather up more survivors. Well, I got, and I got the perfect suggestion. If you were to ride on in and pull up to the front of the hotel at the uh, Colon Cancer Alliance conference for the last weekend in October, uh, you'll you'll probably get at least half of that number uh, just by showing up there. And uh, I'm sure they'd be willing to set you up a little photo booth or whatever, however it is you wanted to do it or direct people out there uh, to take a picture out front of the hotel with you and your bike, whatever it may be. And I bet you could bang out a couple of hundred in one, in one weekend. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I think I'm definitely, no, there's no, I think I, I definitely want to be all over that. So <laughs> I appreciate that information and I'm going to, Definitely pursue well, that. Uh, I'm planning on being there as well. So this is this would be a good chance during the show to plug the upcoming Colon Cancer Alliance conference, uh, which is the weekend, October 30th and 31st, and it's in Phoenix. If you go on the Colon Cancer Alliance's website at ccalliance.org, you will see all the information about the conference and registration just opened up. Uh, there are scholarships available for those that uh, have a need for some financial support in order to get there. I'm planning on being there, and hopefully Todd will see you there too and bang out a lot of those photos yeah, too. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to make that happen. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Let me uh, a couple yeah. other questions before we wrap up. Uh, you look at 
look at the person you are now and after all you've experienced, how has not just uh, spending a few years on the bike, but that combined with the advocacy work that you've done, how has that changed you as a person? It's opened my eyes a lot to, to the disease I have and the people that I share it with. Um, definitely with colon cancer, it's opened my eyes with that. And just, um, it's kind of instilled more empathy with me, you know, and in, 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 in meeting and connecting with all these survivors and hearing their stories and everything. And, and it really touches me deeply. And it, it, it's really kind of a connection to my father who, you know, he he died when I was a young at a young age of 12 of colon cancer. And I didn't really know what was going on back then. And so now, now I kind of have a little bit more of an understanding of kind of what he went through. You know, colon cancer is so, is so very preventable. And, you know, I just want to get the word out to people. I've connected with people across the country <laughs> and scenic overlooks, gas stations, rest stops, Walmart parking lots, uh, et cetera. And talking you know, to them about, you know, I'm talking to so many people with their connections to cancer, but then also specifically to colon cancer, you know, talking to them about their recent colonoscopies and, you know, their relatives that die from it and, you know, talking to people that have family history and they're not acting on it because, you know, their mother died from colon cancer at a young age. And I'm like, you know, you really need to get in there and be looked at. So that's all these things. And, and just connecting with people out in the world like that has kind of restored my, my faith in humanity too. I always wrap up my interviews, uh, Todd, with this question. And I continue to ask it because I always get different answers, which is, which is good. And that is, you know, someone may be listening to our conversation who they or someone that's very dear to them may have just gotten the news that either they have colon cancer, FAP, or some sort of hereditary colon cancer uh, type condition. Uh, and they happen to hear you and I talking. What message would you just say, would you share with someone that just got that news? Well, they need to be proactive. They need to, you know, do some research. They need to, you know, um, to, you know, investigate and, you know, be serious about it and find the right doctor and put more, more attention and energy into getting in and being looked at. And then also look, thinking about your family history and, um, you have to be your own best advocate because, um, nobody else is going to do it for you. The, well, the, the advocacy message that you just mentioned is a very common theme that I hear from people when I ask that question. Uh, and it's an important message that needs to be heard. And I'm glad you brought it up because too often, uh, either you know, through the Facebook group or, or through other platforms, I hear people that are just too deferential to their doctors. They're not real comfortable with what they're being told, but they don't really have the confidence or whatever it may be to seek out a second opinion. So uh, thank you for that message because it's, it's a common theme that I'm hearing from a lot of people like yourself that are survivors saying, you know, that you do need to advocate for yourself and it is your body and you know when something's not right. So, yeah. And, and specifically with, you know, younger survive, younger diagnosis. I mean, I've met with so many survivors that, you know, it's the same 
story where they go to a doctor if they're having these symptoms and they're being told by the doctors that it's like IBS, stress, hemorrhoids, etc. And they're turned away, you know, and then flash forward a year or so, you know, they're coming back with, you know, full on colon cancer and it shouldn't be happening. <laughs> and if, you know, the patient is, if these people, you know, aren't being taken seriously, they should keep looking for a doctor that will. Yeah. That's great advice, and and you're right. It is a story that uh, we're hearing way too often. But, Todd, thank you so much, not just for taking the time to talk to me, but for the work that you're doing and the energy that you're putting forth in your own unique way to raise awareness, to get the word out about this preventable disease. Uh, I do hope our paths cross in Phoenix in a few months and uh, we can uh, get closer to that goal of 500 photos before you turn 50. <laughs> uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, you want to, if you want to take mine 10 times, well, I'm over 50 now. That won't work. Crap. But I know, but I know people. <laughs> yeah. So, so. <laughs> yeah I but no, I, I definitely, I mean, I've seen some recent posts about it and, uh, that's a great idea and I'm itching to get back on the road. So, um, that would be a great event to be at and uh, cool. really, you know, be appreciative to have as many survivors as possible. That'd be just, great. And for yeah. the listeners, I will post, uh, links to your site, uh, the hereditary colon cancer, uh, HEC, t- uh, takes guts, uh, org site, which has a wealth of information about, uh, hereditary colon cancer conditions. And if I can find a link to real recovery, that sounds like a pretty cool event. Uh, we'll post that on our website too at the colon cancer Todd, thanks again for spending the time with me this evening. Uh, continued success, continued more importantly, good health and uh, be well, my friend. Thank you so much, Lee. I appreciate my pleasure. It. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www. .ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer podcast.com. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone. <laughs>